to preach or teach tonight, and um, it, it might not be the most coherently uh, organized sermon I've ever preached in my mind in my life, but I see it in my mind. It just doesn't always come out that way. But I want to weave uh, four passages of scripture, and I want to spend a little bit of time teaching on these four passages, and then hopefully by the end of all that, we can kind of come to a conclusion. And uh, I I, want to just tell you one more time, I'm so thankful for this church. Uh, As I have watched over this year, I have watched that that desire to make disciples uh, beginning to take hold in our church. And when I look out on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and I see people filling our pews that are hungry for the move of God, somebody invited them, somebody's picking them up, somebody's teaching them Bible studies, and that is so important. If you were uh, here, you remember a sermon I preached. I believe it was a Sunday night on uh, are you penguins or are you storks? And we talked about how important it is to have the mindset of how a penguin uh, births and cares for their young. But I, I want to talk to you, and, and, and if th- this is my title, and hopefully by the time we get done, it, it will make sense. But I want to just tell you, and, and, and really hopefully just remind you, that it is that we are not to judge the harvest. That's not our position. And I want to talk to you about what it means to really reap a harvest. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to start with the book of Matthew chapter 13. I know that it's a familiar portion of Scripture, and we're going to go over it once again, and we're going to see it, and then we're going to walk through a few other places in Scripture. But I just want to help you out. We don't judge the harvest. In, in the book of Matthew chapter 13, and, and I'm, I'm not going to read it verbatim because for, I, I would say for the vast majority of us, this scripture is something we know. But let me just hit the high points so that we can redeem the time effectively. Jesus was the master storyteller. Jesus took the principles of God's word and he, he couched them in such a way that you wouldn't forget them. He liked to tell you parables. And so he did so. He gave you the parable of what we call the parable of the sower. Let's look at that. We'll read it and then we'll go over it. Matthew chapter 13. Uh, let's start in verse 3. And he told them many things in parables saying, A sower went out to sow. And he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. But since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. And then Jesus goes on to say, He that hath an ear, let him hear. The disciples did what most of us would do in that place. They would say, Why do you kind of speak in parables? Why do you speak where, where we have to think? Just tell me what you're trying to say. But Jesus understood and he, he said, you know, to you it's been given the knowledge to, that you are able to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to others it's not been giving. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And so Jesus said, sometimes I, I teach in a parable so that you 
asks questions. It, it catches you. You have the desire to dig deeper. Others say, well, I didn't understand it the first time. I'm just going to go away, and they'll never gain that, that knowledge. But Jesus goes on, and he explains the parable, and I like this. Not all the time does Jesus do this, but here he does. Starting in verse 18, he says, let's hear the parable of the sower. When anyone who hears the word of the kingdom. So the first thing that you have to understand is that the sowing, the seed that is used, that's the word of God. And, and as I have said over and over, and, 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 I, and, and we preached about it a few weeks ago, you don't have to have a great knowledge of doctrine. You don't have to have a Bible college degree. All you need to know is that God's word is true. And if you can just use God's word, you don't have to ever be at loss at what to say. It's amazing how easy that is. And so the, the, the seed that we are required to sow is the Word of God. That's why I preach, uh, or someone preaches, almost every service. I enjoy, and I'm thankful for those, those services where the Spirit of God moves, and sometimes we set aside uh, the program, and, and, and we don't preach. That's, I, I'm okay with that, but let me tell you, that is not going to help you long term. If every service had that, we would feel good, but there would be no growth. We've got to have the Word of God. But it's more important that we don't just hear the Word of God across the pulpit. You need the Word of God in your personal devotion time. And you need to find ways in this world to spread the Word of God. But then you have that some people, the seed is sown. Now, I, I could use this just simply in my life as a pastor. There are times that I preach the Word of God. And, and it's a good word, not because I'm preaching it, but because I use God's word. It, 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 that, that's why I'm okay. Sometimes I get my words confused, and sometimes I stumble over my words, and sometimes I heard a story one day of a pastor, of a preacher uh, who preached, and he the, had one of the big, big pulpits, those old-fashioned pulpits where, I don't know if you've ever seen them. We used to have one here, but it had uh, cabinet doors down at the bottom. And I heard of a, a young preacher, he preached, and he was so embarrassed at the time that he got done preaching. When he got done, he just crawled in there and shut the door and waited till everybody left, and then he, he came out. But you know what? Here's the thing. When you preach God's word, you don't have to wonder whether you did a good job or not. If you preach God's word, then God will, will, will do what needs to happen. And so there are some who will hear the word, they don't understand it. They don't take time to understand it. Uh, it could be as simple as going in one ear and out the other. It could be as simple as they are not ready to receive it. And the birds come, or, or as the description of Jesus says, the evil one comes and snatches away that's been sown in the heart. That's what's been sown on the path. The path was the pieces of ground that people walked on constantly and it, it wore it down. It was hard. The word of God couldn't penetrate. And I will tell you today, behind the pulpit, we fight the hardness of humanity's heart on a daily basis. Again, how many times have you gone and talked to someone and they're not, they don't need God? They don't need what you're saying. They don't need salvation. Everything's good, that hardness of heart. But here's the thing. It is not up to you and I to judge whether or not their heart is hardened. And we are not to say, I'm not going to give you the word because it's not going to help you. We don't have that ability. We are called 
to sow the word. That which is sown on rocky ground. That's the ones that receive the word of God. They love it, man. They have an incredible experience in the moment. And, and, and they even have a little bit of growth. I have preached. I have seen it happen. You get somebody walking off the streets, has no idea about the Bible. They come in. They hear a sermon. The word of God grabs hold of them. They even make a decision. Maybe they're baptized right then. Maybe they're even filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost right then. And they have a, a quick growth. That's the seed of God, the word of God that falls along the rocky ground. But the problem is that rocky ground does not allow for a, a grounding or a rooting. It's like the grass that grows in the cracks of sidewalks. It, it, you can usually pluck it up pretty easy. It has no roots. It has no grounding. And they may endure for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And all of us have friends or acquaintances or people you know. They come in. They seem to do so good for a little bit. And then something begins to push back. And you never see them again. But I can't judge. I can't say, well, you know, I don't know if you're going to stay with this, so I'm not going to give you the word of God. It's my responsibility to sow and to sow alike. And then you have that which is sown among the thorns. The one who hears the word, but the cares of the world is, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Sometimes you sow and you sow and, and it might grow and it might stick around, but it just never does anything. But I can't stop preaching. I can't stop worship, uh, 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 discipling. I can't stop teaching. I can't judge where the word of God goes. And then, of course, you have the good part. Those that, the, the seed that's sown on good soil, it's the one that hears the word and understands it, bears fruit and yields. Sometimes a hundredfold, sometimes 60, sometimes 30. That's what I like. I like preaching the word. I like teaching Bible studies and people keep coming. People keep getting it. They keep coming to church. They keep growing. God keeps moving and you see that consistent growth. I like that. Now I know that some of you might say, well, in the grand scheme of things, the big field that they sowed in is probably larger than the path. But if you just use this, what, this is what it tells me. A quarter of the word that was sown works. That's I just use that. But I, it's not up to you and I to judge whether or not they're going to receive it or not. Here's the thing. You and I are called to spread the gospel. So, so let me take you to another place. Now, this is the parable. This is the, the abstract teaching. Let's put the teaching to practical use. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, you have this, this beautiful story of Jesus and the woman of Samaria at the well. And uh, I, I, uh, I've preached on it. You've, you've heard me preach. I've, I've probably preached this multiple times since I've been pastor here. There's great truth involved. Uh, you know, the, the, it's interesting, again, when you begin to read the Bible and you don't just pick something out of it, you, you, you read what happens before and after. 
It's amazing when you put this story of the woman in the well in context with all of John. Because first off, you have in, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus coming. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said you must be born of the water and of the Spirit. You have that discourse. But then towards the end of John chapter 3, you have this interesting uh, uh, dichotomy that takes place. You go, you're, you're there at the Jordan River. John the Baptist is still active in his ministry. Remember John the Baptist was the one who, who was the forerunner of Christ. The one that's coming after me. I'm not worthy to, to even tie his shoes if you will. But you have this picture. It's at the end of John chapter 3. You have this picture. John the Baptist is on one side of the river. And he's baptizing still disciples that, that like he has done. He's baptizing them into repentance. He's still telling them there's one coming after. He's still telling them this is the one. But on the other side of the river, you have Jesus and his disciples. And some of Jesus' disciples are baptizing people. And you have some of John the Baptist's disciples looking and saying, why are you allowing that? that? This is not right. Why in the world? I mean, look, you, you've got people over there and, 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 and you've got him preaching. He's baptizing. And, and, and it's just interesting that John has to once again say, that's okay. It's not about me. It's not about my ministry. It's not about my kingdom. It's not about my legacy. It's about spreading the gospel to the whole world. And so you, you come here, Jesus learned, the Pharisees, they had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. And so Jesus leaves Judea and he goes to Galilee, but he has to pass through Samaria. Again, Samaria was a, a portion of, of, of that area where people who were not 100% Jewish tended to live. They were what most of us would call half Jew or, or they had a, a smattering of Jew, Jewish uh, blood or Jew, Jewish lineage. And the, the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't like each other. The Jews kind of had this, this I'm better than you because we're pure and, and you're not. And the Samaritans didn't like the Jews and so they were there. And in the way, this town of Samaria called Sychar, it was around the field that Jacob had given to Joseph. Jacob's well is there. Jesus is tired. He's been walking. He sits down. It's the sixth hour or noon. He sits on the well and he rests. The disciples go on into the, the, the town. They're going to try to find some food. And, and, and while it's there at noon, this woman from Samaria comes and Jesus says, give me something to drink. The deepness of the story is not revealed if you just read it real fast. But you have to understand, first, the, 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 the friction between Samaritans and Jews. You also lived in a very male-centric society. It, it was not normal for a man to, especially a rabbi, a teacher of the Jewish faith, to, to belittle himself, if you will, to talk to this woman that's coming. It just, just everything about it screamed, this isn't right. It's noon. You find out later, I'm not going to tell you the whole story. You find out later that Jesus told the woman, you know, you're, you know go, go call your husband. And the woman says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. You've had five husbands and the one, one you're living with is not your husband's. And I don't know how you tend to view this woman, but I, I'm going to tell you, maybe five of her husbands had died. Maybe it was natural, but most people don't lean toward that. Most people lean toward she'd been divorced a bunch of times and she's living with a man that's not her husband. She wasn't living right. She wasn't where she needed to be. 
that's most likely why she came at noon. People are people no matter where you go and gossip flies no matter who you are and no matter what time frame you are and and it was customary that the women would go to the well very early in the morning because you didn't have running water. So if you wanted to make coffee during the day, you had to go to the well and bring coffee or you know get water for your coffee pot. If you wanted to take a bath, you had to go get water out of the well, bring it back to the house. If you wanted to cook, you had to get water from the well, bring it to the house. It wasn't good to, you know, it's kind of bad. If you need water right then, you don't want to have to go to the well. So they would go to the well and they would get you know, as much water as they could carry. You've seen the pictures. They carry those big water pots on their heads and they would bring enough water, most likely for their whole day. And they would do it each and every day. But this woman came at noon. She didn't want to talk to anybody. People would judge her. I'm sure she had that scarlet letter on her chest and she's just kind of trying to fly under the radar. And of all days and of all times, here's a Jewish rabbi sitting on the well talking. Hopefully the story is beginning to, you know, you're beginning to remember it. But she, he, he said, uh, you know, he said, give me a drink. And she said, well, you know, I can and, and, and I can't believe you're talking to me. And why, why would you even stoop this low? And Jesus makes that statement. But I, I can give you water you can drink and never thirst again. She's thinking, oh, hallelujah, I don't have to come to the well anymore. It'll be some magical pot that I can keep in my house. And every time I need water, I pour it out. And I don't ever have to come to the well. But he keeps telling her more things until she's amazed at the teaching of this Messiah. Until finally, she, she was a believer. She said in verse 25, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus goes, exactly, I am he she runs back into the city this scarlet woman that probably didn't have a great reputation goes into the city the disciples at this point come back and they they first off they kind of see him talking to her and they're marveling that he would talk to her that he would demean himself and talk to her and no one asked what what did you talk about no one asked you know did she believe nobody was in, interested in that they immediately Begin to judge the harvest. Jesus, I can't believe you would talk to her. I can't believe you would waste your time on somebody like that. While the and and I, I personally, I mean, you see other places in the Bible that Peter was. It didn't take Peter much to to get aggravated at Jesus. You know, Peter talked back to Jesus quite a bit. You can see that through scriptures. And so it's not a, a stretch to see this rough and tumbled uh, 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 fisherman taking Jesus to task. Now, Jesus, come on. You know, as a rabbi, you're not supposed to talk to women. And you know she, she's who she is. You, I, I can't believe you did this. While they're taking Jesus to task and judging the harvest... She's in the city, and this is what the Word of God says. She's in the city saying, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town, and they were coming there. The disciples, meanwhile, are trying to get Jesus to eat. They've spent their time going to McDonald's, getting food, and trying to get back. And Jesus said, I'm not hungry right now. Ah, come on, don't you know we worked so hard to get this food? 
Come on, Jesus, eat. And Jesus says, no, I'm, I got meat to eat that, that you don't understand. Don't you understand that, that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, in fact, I'm going to tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest. Here, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others had labored, and you have entered into their labor. And many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, saying, he told me all I ever did. When Jesus said, look up, the fields are white with harvest, I am firmly convinced that was not an abstract saying. When he said, look up, and they looked up, an entire town is coming to Jesus because of one woman, because Jesus took time to talk to one person, an entire, the Bible says, many Samaritans from that town believed. Now, I'm going to come back to this at the end, but let me tell you, if you want to know my ending, I don't want you to cut out and and stop listening, but if you want to know my ending, this is my ending. And the Samaritans came to him and, and they asked him to stay with them. Jesus stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And those people said to the woman, It is no longer because what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. If you want to know what true discipleship is, it's when you have told them about Jesus, and you have piqued their curiosity and maybe they even start to believe because of your testimony but then you lead them to Christ and no longer do they have to take your word for it now they have it for themselves that's the greatest picture of discipleship I think you could give all because Jesus didn't judge the harvest There's another place that you have this. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 10. Those of you that that know your Bible, you know exactly where I'm going. You're already starting to preach the remainder of my message. Again, I don't have time for it all, but Peter, he's he's there at Simon the Tanner's house. And, you know, it's around noon or so, and, and he's waiting on them to fix lunch. And he's up on top of the flat top roof, and the sea breeze is blowing in. And he's probably just kind of kind of meditating. Maybe he's even doing a little praying. But somewhere he kind of relaxes and falls asleep. And a, God gives him a vision, a dream. Great sheet is lowered down from with, by, by the four corners. And in the sheet is, is animals. And it's animals that, that the Jews would never touch, much less eat, because they were considered unclean. They're snakes and pigs and and, and, you know, things that, the vultures and, and things that, that the Bible, or, you know, their, their mosaic law said you cannot touch them, they're unclean. And, and as it comes down, Jesus speaks to Peter and says, Peter, arise, slay, and eat. Peter says, Lord, don't you know I'm trying to live for you? I, I would never defile myself by eating that. This happens. Three times. But the key is what Jesus said. Because Jesus was not trying to to, uh, uh, trip Peter up. Peter, Jesus was not trying to get Peter to make a mistake. 
Peter, or Jesus was trying to get Peter to understand that sometimes God changes the moment. There was a reason in the Old Testament you weren't supposed to eat all that. They were trying to keep them alive. They were in the middle of a wilderness. And, and there was some, some reasons that, that he said. But now we're in something new. And Jesus said, look, I'm calling it clean now. And what I call clean, do not call unclean. Peter didn't understand it at the moment. Until three times that happens and then a knock on the door. And three men are standing at his door. They're sent from Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. Cornelius was not of the lineage of Abraham. Cornelius was not allowed to walk into the synagogue. Cornelius was not allowed to offer those sacrifices. In fact, in everything that Peter knew, Cornelius was off limits. But Jesus said, I'm changing the paradigm. No longer is my salvation kind of going to be reserved for the Jews. But I'm opening it up. And I'm telling you, you don't get the choice to judge the harvest. And so Peter goes down. And Peter meets with, with Cornelius. And as Peter is preaching and as they hear the news. In fact, Peter made this statement. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what right is acceptable to him. And light bulbs begin to go off in Peter's mind. And he begins to realize, I don't get the chance or the choice to judge the harvest. And so it is that. Peter begins to preach and tell them the good news, tells them the gospel, the death, the burial, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And while he is preaching, he's still talking, and the Holy Ghost falls on all who heard the word. And those Jews, the believers of the circumcision, those Jews were astonished because upon the Gentiles, God had poured out the gift of his spirit. There were those that stepped back and said, whoa, 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 I don't understand. Why in the world would God give these Gentiles the same blessing, but they couldn't deny it? For the Bible says, they heard them speak with tongues just as they had spoken in tongues. And from that point in Scripture, there's been no turning back. You and I don't get the choice to judge the... Uh, the harvest and you let me take you to one other place one very sad portion of scripture if you have your Bibles would you turn with me to the book of Jonah in, in the book of Jonah you have perhaps and, and I know there's a lot in the Bible and, and sometimes I'll make a statement like you know this this is, is the you know, it's the saddest thing I've ever heard. And then later on I read something else in the Bible. I'm like, I don't know, that's kind of sadder. But I'm kind of convinced Jonah, he ranks right up there. Jonah, a prophet of God. Jonah heard the voice of God. Jonah was used mightily of God to go to, to the Israelites and to speak judgments. And it seems like uh, uh, everything that Jonah said, it would come to pass. Any of you parents or maybe even not parents you just enjoy seeing VeggieTales Jonah it's amazing how accurate that little cartoon really is or if you've gone and you've seen Jonah at Sight and Sound Theater in Branson it's not going on now I think right now they're doing Samson I hope to see that but it's amazing how accurate they portrayed that Jonah was a great man he was a, he was a, he was a preacher a pastor a prophet he 
he had that. And, and then all of a sudden, God said, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. I need you to go tell them that, that they have sinned and they need to repent. Nineveh was not a good place. Nineveh and, and, and Israel, they didn't get along. Nineveh had, th- there was some conflict there. And so there was a great bias about Nineveh. And so what did Jonah do? Went the opposite way. Jumped on a boat trying to run from God. Jonah said, I'm, ju- I'm, I'm going to judge. I, there, there's some places I don't want to share the gospel. And he gets on the boat, the storm comes, it's about to sink. Finally, they figure it out, they throw Jonah over. The whale eats him three days in the belly of the whale. Jonah repents, a beautiful story of repentance, beautiful story of God's grace. The whale vomits Jonah up on the ground. Jonah said, fine, I think I've learned my lesson. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh, and he begins to tell him, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of God or the people of Nineveh believed God this is the tragedy of Jonah Jonah knew how fast how well how powerful the word of God was he knew if I go and I preach the word of God to Nineveh they're going to respond because it's hard not to respond to the word of God They begin to repent. They begin to put on sackcloth and ashes. They begin to fast. The king even heard it. He removed his robe. He covered himself in sackcloth and ashes. He issued a proclamation that nothing, nobody, not any noble, not any any royalty, neither a man or even the flocks are going to eat. They even made the animals fast. By the way, this is a slap in the face to Israel. How in the world does a heathen nation understand the the voice of God when Israel constantly sinned? They couldn't even repent of their sin. They got so, so caught up in all of their idolatry. But, I mean, they fasted from the king to the dog in uh, the house and the the lamb and the goat and the uh, bull. And when God saw what they did, how they had repented and turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster and said he would not do it. Can you imagine? Just just let me use my imagination. Can you imagine? Let me use me. I'm preacher. God says, I want you to go out to, to the middle of O'Fallon. And I want you to begin to preach. And the entire town of O'Fallon repents and is saved. Or if you were called to go somewhere, maybe in your community you live, or maybe in in the, 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 the place of work where you live, go and you just preach the gospel and everybody repents. Can you imagine how excited you'd be? You'd be jumping up and down. You'd be dancing. You'd be shouting. Or you could be Jonah in chapter 4. And this displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Seriously? The man of God angry because an entire city heard the word and was saved? This is, this is the, the here, here's the reason. Jonah looked at the Lord. He pre, the Bible says, verse 2, Jonah chapter 4 verse 2 And he prayed to the Lord And he said Lord 
this is exactly what I knew was going to happen before I left where I live. I knew you were going to save them stupid Ninevites. This is why I left. This is why I ran away to Tarshish. Because I know you're a gracious God. I know you're merciful. I know you're slow to anger. I know you're abounding steadfast in love. I know you relent from from disaster. This is why I didn't want to preach. Because you were going to save them. Just kill me now. That's what he says. Take my life away. Just kill me. I can't believe you would ever save the lost. By the way, if you haven't figured it out, this is the opposite of discipleship. (laughs) This is the opposite of what God's called you to do. Of course, Jonah still is hoping and praying. He goes up to the cliff that overlooks Nineveh and he sits down there and he's got this sadistic hope that maybe they'd mess up and God would wipe them off the face of the earth like Sodom and Gomorrah and he wants to be there for the fireworks. It's hot. His head's about to boil, plumb off his skull and the Lord lets a plant grow and it covers Jonah. Jonah's so happy because the plant grew. Then the next day a worm comes and eats the plant. Jonah begins to cry and and complain and he's so mad. Just let me die. Why? Why did you take my plant away? And God says, I can't believe you're more concerned about that plant than you are about those in Nineveh. And Jonah don't get it. He says, yeah, I am angry. I am angry that you would dare save them. I do want to just throw me off this cliff and let my life be over. Watch what the Lord says. Do you remember? I'm trying to take you full circle. Do you remember in the story of the, par- uh, the parable of the sower? Jesus said, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna reap what you have not sown. You're going you're to, you know, somebody is going to sow. Somebody's going to reap. It, it's, it's all going to work. But watch what he says here. Jonah, you pity the plant which you did not labor. You didn't make it grow. It came to being in a night and it perished in a night. You had nothing to do with that plant, yet you're so worried about it. Should I not, this is the Lord speaking, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. And when I read that immediately, I heard, I think it's 2 Peter, begin to, 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 to ping in my ear. The Lord is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. The Lord is long-suffering. It is not up to you and I to judge the harvest. As I take you full circle, I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter 13. You have the, the parable of the sower and he explained it. Then Jesus goes a little further and he gives you this parable. And he put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds, or tares is what probably your King James says, 
sowed weeds in the, in the middle of the wheat and went away. So that when the plants came up and bore grain, so did the weeds. And the servants of the master of the house came and said unto him, Master, did you not sow good seed in the field? Why does it have weeds? And the master said, Well, an enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow until the harvest. And at harvest time I will gather, tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. He goes on to explain that. Matthew chapter 13 verse 36. The field is the world. The good seed is those that are going to be saved. The weeds are the sons of the evil. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. See, this is why you've got to be careful. And, and unfortunately in my years of ministry and places I've been, I've, I've seen the judging of the harvest. We'll go reach them, but I don't know about over there. I've seen God begin to bring and people start wanting to go take the weeds out. But the problem is you never know what you're going to mess up if you try to judge the harvest before it's time. Because sometimes you'll abort a child of God in the making. They don't look like much now. They don't look like much now. But God knows what's coming. But there will be a day when at the end of time, the harvest will be gathered together. And at that point, God's judgment will be those that obeyed the word of God. I'm kind of mixing my parables a little bit, my metaphors, but he'll say unto them, come, come here into this everlasting rest. Come to my right hand. But he'll look at those weeds those that, that didn't make it and he'll say depart from me I never knew you be cast away the utter darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth or in this parable you'll be burned but it's not up to us to judge the harvest for the Lord said whosoever will let him come and so I'm just telling you right now I've made a point in my life made a point in my ministry whosoever will let him come. Yeah, sometimes it falls on rocky ground and feels like you wasted your time because nothing ever grew. That's fine. You're not called to, to save everybody. You're called to spread the word. And, and yeah, there, there's times that I've, I, I've done it. I've sowed seed. I've worked so hard. and They grew, but they, they didn't last, and I don't see them anymore. I'm not called to judge that. I'm called to keep planning, keep preaching, keep teaching. And yeah, there's some that you've spent so much time on and the weeds choked them out and they never were fruitful. And you look back and you say, God, am I wasting my time? And God says no. Because God is not going to judge you on how fruitful those you witnessed to were. God's not going to judge you, Brother Mark, and say, well, I had a quota for you. You know, most people think cops have quotas when it comes to speeding tickets. That's, in fact, illegal. But God doesn't have a quota for you, Mark. And he's not going to say, man, Mark, if you could have just won one more person to God, you could come to heaven. But instead, God's going to look at each one of us, and he's going to ask this question. 
did you sow? And for some, he'll say, did you reap? You had an opportunity. Some sow, some water, some reap. And he's going to ask you this. He's going to say, did you just simply spread the seed? And you can look him and say, yes, I did. And I did not judge the harvest. And Lord, there were some that were saved. There were some that stayed and then left. And there were some that never stuck. But I spread the word. And God's going to say to you, well done thy good and faithful servant enter in to a time of rest I want us to stand today